Well, Jan, if you ever get a chance to get to know my wife, she's going to be so well-planned. She's got her list. She's first child. She does all that kind of stuff. And so her and her mom, they worked hard getting all this wedding. So we'd have the most perfect wedding there at South Cliff Baptist Church in Fort Worth. So let me tell you what happened from a perfectly planned wedding. We had rehearsal dinner at Cross uh, Keys. It was a a prime rib steak restaurant in Fort Worth, one of the best ones in town back in the 70s. And so we go there, and it was good. But the next day, they were closed down for health code violations and never reopened. (laughs) So it must not have been that good because my wife got severe food poisoning eating there that night. And so she spent all night sick. Uh, I think she said she lost like five or six pounds, but her wedding dress fit even better than she intended. (laughs) But we got there the next day, or she did, to get ready for the wedding at the church. It was going to be an evening wedding. They sent her dress to Dallas and sent another dress to her. So you can imagine her panic when she doesn't have her dress that day in Fort Worth, but eventually they found it. They brought the wrong wedding cake to ours. They brought somebody else's wedding cake, and we got ours just before the wedding started. They hunted all, all, all over Fort Worth to find where our cakes had gone. And uh, then the florist had a major car accident on the way to the church. So when the wedding starts at 7 p.m., and we had a full house. It was a lot of people there in Fort Worth. That's where my wife is from. We were still decorating while everybody was coming in. Then, as we're about to come out, there's no unity candles. They were broke in the wreck. So I'm running around in a white tux in this big church trying to find candles. I found two pink ones. My wife threatened me very severely if we put the pink ones out there. We eventually found it. As we're about to walk in the wedding, my best friend is HPD, Houston Police. He pulls his coat up, tucks, and he's got a 38 revolver underneath there. He says, if anybody objects, I'll shoot. My other best friend in the wedding, Jody, told me as we're walking out, we didn't like the hotel that they had picked. They picked their own hotel to come up for my wedding. So we moved. So where are you at now? He was at our hotel that we were going to after the wedding. Now, you got to know, Jody and Alan and I grew up. We were the three musketeers. We grew up in a town about the size of Greenville, Orange, Texas. And we caused havoc all of our life. So my wife and I later that evening had to park blocks away from the hotel and and sneak in because if he had known it, he would have made the rest of my life miserable. (laughs) My wife, as she's about to come down, her aunt, who could be very mean-spirited, looked at her, and I can't use the words in church that she used to her, but basically told her that she looked horrible in her wedding dress. So my wife comes down crying. I'm going, oh, she's so happy to marry me. No, she got her feelings hurt. (laughs) But just before she came in, the ring bearer, Uh, He has probably spent time in jail, but he's five at the time. He threw the worst fit ever. Halfway down, screaming out of control fit. They had to drag him out of the church. The rings never made it down to us. I'm glad that real rings weren't on it. And then uh, they had to sit up for the reception. We walked in. They were still setting up everything. Nothing went right except we did our I do's and got through that. To top it off, we go to Colorado Springs, honeymoon. We're at the Biltmore, whatever that place is in Colorado Springs. I paid a fortune for us to be there. 
but we get to Colorado Springs and Jan has a severe bladder infection. So we go to Penrose Memorial Hospital and spent the rest of our time at Penrose Memorial Hospital. And so they wouldn't take insurance, so I had to pay cash. So we went back and checked out of the Biltmore, checked into Motel 6, that's just a true story. Instead of staying a week, we stayed two days and we came home. Now I tell you all of that, you couldn't have planned anything more perfect than my wife did and it fell apart. You know, a lot of times things get out of our control. We don't have control over that, no matter how well we, we plan to put things together. Sometimes circumstances change everything on us quickly and we have to react to the moment. That's what my, I love about this story in Luke 2. I touched lightly. I'm going to touch it again today. I did it last week, so you'll know the answers once I get into it. But I'm amazed at how God brought this about and the timing and the power to make it happen. So if you will stand with me, I'm going to read the first seven verses. I'm going, to, I'm going to make you stand every Sunday for the reading of the Word. That's just my tradition and I'm more comfortable with, so we'll be doing that. But here's what it says, and you know this, you've already read it probably today, but we'll do it one more time. Now in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. It's the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph, he went up from Galilee. Uh, and when he went up from Galilee, because he was from the city of Dave, uh, Nazareth, he, he goes to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And the reason he did that, because he was of the house and the family of David. He was a direct descendant down. And they went up to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Now, Father, as we look at this today, help us to get to especially the last point that I intend to make today, very significant, about why all this happened. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless each family here. Give them a great day today with their kids and grandkids, and may it be a great celebration of, of this Christmas time as we remember this amazing time in history when you came to this earth to bring us life. Now, watch over and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I did this last week, but I was intended to set up for this week. And that is simply this. There's a time factor that is crucial to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told the church at Galatia, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. So we're told in the book of Galatians that God had a, a timing, and when that moment came, Christ was born. In fact, Mark 1 says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand in the opening of the gospel of Mark. So everything from the foundation of the world until that moment is now unfolding exactly what God had planned and what he intended to do. So last week I touched on this, but to remind you again, the timing of the genealogy of the generations from Adam to Noah was 10. You know that from last week. From Noah to Abraham was 10. It's fascinating, you had 10 and 10, and as I look at that, from Adam and Eve when everything's perfect, it took 10 generations for mankind to collapse. And then came the flood. They start all over with Noah, a very righteous man, but it took 10 generations from starting over to have the Tower of Babel. Again, a complete collapse of man and his sinfulness. This time God does not destroy everything by water, but what he does is he confuses the languages and he forms 70 nations and scatters them throughout the world. 70 nations were formed. There is no Israel at this moment. But now it's time for his plan. And that's when Abraham comes out of Mesopotamia and from Ur. 
eventually ends up in the, land, the promised land and starts what God said would happen to him. And so from Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to the deportation, 14 generations. And from the deportation to the coming of Christ is again 14. So it's 60, 62 generations from Adam to Jesus and it's 42 from Abraham to Jesus. To fulfill that, and we touched that last week, is unbelievable. To set a time schedule, but have the power to carry it out. My wife laid out everything perfect for our wedding, but there were some things she had no power or control over. You've had similar circumstances, and yet God does not allow anything that happens. And last week we saw in Isaiah with King Ahaz how close it was to the, the destruction of the line of Messiah, but God would not allow it to happen. He could not stop what he had planned. But there's other things going on that is amazing to me. Most of us can fit on one schedule, watch it, make sure it gets done the way it's supposed to. But there are a lot of other things going on. Back in Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks have been decreed to, uh, for your city, your holy city, to finish transgressions, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up the visions and prophecy and anoint this most holy place. It's talking eventually leading to the crucifixion of Christ. So you're on a 70-week time schedule, which is 70 years times 7, 490 years. So not only has he got the generations that he's got to keep in charge of, but what he gave to Daniel several centuries before, he is fulfilling that so that it is fulfilled the 69 and so weeks afterwards, right at the time of the crucifixion of Christ. To me, you've got two major events going on, and he's got to sustain both of them and make them perfectly happen, which now leads to what we just read, the third event that had to happen. And that is, this third time event is unfolding, and it's a fulfillment of Scripture, and that is getting Mary and Joseph from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And in Luke 2, 1, it says this, Now in those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus, a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. In one sense, there's nothing significant about that, for census has been taken before, and many have been taken thereafter. We do it here in America on a regular basis. But yet, this is very significant. And what is amazing to me is that when you get to Luke 2, 4, it's going to say that Joseph went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, and he goes down to Bethlehem, in order to be able to register with Mary. But we know many centuries before that God said, in Bethlehem, the Savior would be born. Now, you think about the power it takes to make this young couple leave Nazareth, trek down that long, difficult journey down to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem, on, on the outside of Jerusalem, when she is probably eight months pregnant, and you've got to get down there. Now, think about this. What was the intertwining time for Caesar Augustus in Rome, sitting there, looking at his aides and advisor and saying, I want a census. He has no other thing than he needs to know some things about his kingdom and how big the Roman Empire is. He's just making a decision. But yet in the providence of God and in his perfect timing of fulfilling the generations and the 70 weeks of Daniel, he's now got to start in motion that happening. Now, we can see things moving fairly fast. We saw our government do that during the COVID time, how they could literally shut us down overnight. They could make this happen, that happen. But think of that day. You don't have your cell phones. You don't have the internet. You have none of this instant communication that you and I can do nowadays, where we literally can talk to people on the other side of the world instantaneously, and they can talk back to us. 
You've now got to move that through the slow movement of a federal government of Rome that is huge. You've got to eventually get that out now to people who are going to move throughout the country, couriers who take this everywhere. They've got to take it all the way to Jerusalem to make that area happen. I don't know how long it would take to either go by horseback or walk or however you ship and, uh, through the Mediterranean, but that would have taken time. Everything has to move in a very precise way, and you and I know federal government never moves that fast. So when I'm reading the first little bit here about Caesar, Augustus, and the faithful and a census, and you got Joseph who's very faithful following through on what he's told, we just read that and we don't think of this power of God that's at work in this that makes this unfold in the most amazing way. Because you've got to get a little girl that's not only going to be pregnant, but she's got to deliver birth in Bethlehem at exactly the moment it's supposed to be there. You know, a lot of times we, we, yeah, we believe in the power of God. We, we give glory to God for his power. But I don't think sometimes we recognize how impactful it is every single day on every single one of us. And so literally they show up when it was to happen because some man in Rome, even very powerful as he is, made a decision and they got there just on time. But let's add one more thing to this. Who had to be born a little bit before Jesus? We know from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is probably my favorite chapter in the Old Testament. It's a, a great description of the coming of the Messiah and of John the Baptist. And it, it has the most amazing description of the power of God at work. And that's really one I love to re review ever so often because it says that all the power of the world is nothing like a little bit of water in the hollow of a hand or the dust on the scale compared to our God. Well, John the Baptist has to be born. That has to be taken care of. So now I've got, not only got to keep the generations lining up, make sure I got that finished, I got to get the 70 weeks now on schedule, make sure that's going on. I got to get the little girl down to Bethlehem, but I also got to make certain I don't forget John because he's a forerunner of all that is going on. And then let me add just one, two more little side notes to all this. When you get to the end of Luke chapter 2, after the birth, you get in around verse 26 and following, you got an old man that lives in Jerusalem whose name is Simeon. You know the story. And in Luke 2.26, it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death or he had seen the Lord Christ. So you've got to keep an old man alive during this time frame. You're doing what? I'm doing the generational thing from the foundation there to the birth of the Messiah. I'm doing the 70 weeks to be able to fulfill what Jeremiah, Daniel had promised. I am unfolding all of that. I'm moving the little girl. I got to get John the Baptist into position right on time. And I also got to make sure that older guy that's over by the temple is staying alive because I promised him that he'd get to see the Messiah. See, that's a real small thing. We may not even think about that one, but in the providence of God, that young, that old man has to live. He has to be there to fulfill because he's going to make one of the great prophecies of the New Testament. And then let's add the last thing. I could add several more, but one more. You've got to get the wise men there on time. However many wise men that is. But you've got to load them up. You've got a long journey. We don't know if they came from Iran. We don't know if they came from India. There's all kinds of possibilities of where these guys came from. And there were probably not three of them, but that's what we always talk about, the three wise men. But they've got to get to Bethlehem. That star has to do what it's supposed to do right on schedule. And everybody's got to move. Now... I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about stuff like that, it blows my mind at the power, the wisdom, and the authority to be able to make that happen. My wife and I couldn't even get a wedding right. 
as much as she wanted the most perfect wedding, and it was perfect. She married me, you know, what more can I say? But we could even make that happen. And yet our God, sitting on his throne, accomplishes everything. And Peter, who got to sit in on all of this and watch all this unfold, later will say in one of his letters, Jesus was foreknown, perfect tense, so it was foreknown from the very beginning today and all the way into the future. He was foreknown before the foundation world, and he's appeared in these last times for you. Peter knew that from the foundation, God had this plan and is fulfilling it to perfection. So what does that mean on a basis where I get into where I really want to go? Trust God in his plan for your life. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it can be very painful. But our God is working in your life. I love what Philippians 1.6 says. He who begins a good work in you is going to bring it to completion at the coming of Christ Jesus. Every one of us in here, God knows our name. If you've come to know him by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, you belong to him. You're his child. You're very important to him. And he is doing something in your life. Easy, not always. Difficult, sometimes very difficult. But in the long run, he's causing all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the Christmas story is one of the greatest explanations how God does that in the midst of a fallen and broken world. I think you and I ought to stand in amazement. I mean, I really do. We ought to be in awe of this. But I want to close because I said I'd keep it short and sweet. What was the perfect timing for? And what I want to do is I'm going to do a little out of Luke 2, but I want to go to Jesus before Pilate to close here in just a minute. And that is God's perfect timing bringing us good news. You know, you don't have to live long on earth to be disappointed by life. The world's filled with injustice and unrighteousness and evil. Dreams can be taken away in a moment's notice. Life can be altered greatly even within seconds. But on this day, in the midst of all of that brokenness, the angels told the shepherds, I'm bringing good news of great joy. And you know that. Perfect timing, good news on the way, good news now here, and it's for every one of us. See, my, my deal being in the pulpit all these years is to take this from more than just being facts within our heads. I mean, all of us know a lot of the Bible and a lot of the Bible stories and everything else. But this has got to live today. This has to go into daily living. This, this has to translate into how I'm dealing with everything I face within life, with the good and the bad, with the painful, with the joyful that I live out every day, the very presence of Christ within me. And so I am grateful to know that this kid who grew up on the bowels of East Texas, that God in his providence had a plan for me and is unfolding that plan within my life. It adds amazing significance to it. It gives me the courage to be able to live. It helps me to anticipate everything going on in life that my God's hand will always be on me. But we have a Savior, we have a Messiah, and he is Lord. And that's what Christmas is about. God's perfect timing, His perfect power, His omniscience, everything about it, bringing to us salvation through the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ, and you and I are called now to walk with Him. But here's what I want to close. One of my church members from San Antonio texted me early this morning. Uh, he, he's been a good friend for years. Military, uh, served over in Kazakhstan and some other places with our military. But he sent me John 18, 37. I texted him back. You know, that's, 
changed my sermon. I said it's going to be a conclusion. I want to close with that. Here's what it says. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king? And this is Jesus just before his crucifixion, standing before Pilate. And Jesus looked at him and said, Yes, you say it rightly. I am a king. But then Jesus says this, and this helps us to understand Christmas today. You usually don't go to John 18 for the Christmas story, but you really could today. Jesus says this, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come, to bear witness to the truth. That's what Christmas is about. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And he came to bear witness to all that God was doing. And you and I are here this morning on a Christmas morning. I know some churches are closed, but we're open today. Why? Because we're coming again to do what? We're going to worship and we're going to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ and what he means in our life. You said just a moment ago, we're here to uplift Christ. That's what this is about. Well, he came to bear witness with the truth. But then he says this, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. There are a lot of people out there today don't, this doesn't make a bit of sense to them. They don't like it. All you got to do is get on Twitter and watch some of the reactions to the Christianity on Twitter and you'll realize how many people have a passionate hatred for what you and I believe. And it's nothing but foolishness to them and stupidity and all those kind of words that they may use. But I don't know about you, but when I came to know Christ at the age of 20 in 1974, suddenly it made sense and suddenly, I could understand. That is called grace. Jesus came so that those who are of the truth will hear him. And so when you hear God's word being preached, it registers in your heart and your mind and your soul and your spirit because you know that is the truth of God's word. And the spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we're his kids. So on this Christmas, you know, I, I've always loved Christmas. It's not always the easy time of the year. It just seemed a little strange last night when we were sitting there with everybody in the, at my daughter's house and my dad's not there and my father-in-law's not there. So first Christmas without them. Nobody really said anything, but it cost my mind several occasions. It just didn't seem right now uh, with them not being there. And it didn't like it either because that now made me the oldest Branson and I didn't like that either since they were gone. But you know, sometimes Christmas is not all that fun. But it doesn't matter if the day doesn't go like planned. My joy doesn't come from the day going perfectly. My joy comes from Him. My joy comes from knowing what He's done. My joy comes from knowing that I belong to Him. My joy comes because I know how all this ends. My joy comes because I know one day I'll be with family and friends again in, in heaven. My dad's brother, I'll close with this, was a uh, severely handicapped. He lived 46 years. Uh, it's what I grew up with. I, didn't, I figured everybody's life was like ours the way we, we grew up, but everything centered around Bill. We called him Billy Tom. He had the mentality of about an eight or nine-year-old. His hands were severely crippled. His feet, he couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything. Couldn't feed himself. Couldn't dress himself. Couldn't walk. Couldn't, his, his, he was childlike in many ways. Uh, his language you would have never understood a word he said. Uh, we called it Billinese is what he spoke, but those of us who grew up with him, we knew what he would be saying. It took me a while as a kid to learn it, but I eventually did. 
But we were one day sitting there, and friends would come with me over my grandmother's house to eat dinner when I was in college, and they wouldn't ever go back. It was hard to eat dinner at the table with Bill, just the way he had to eat and everything else. But that's all I ever knew. But one day I'm sitting there with, and he's sitting next to me, and we're having our roast and, and uh, potatoes and, and uh, stuff like that. And Grandma's got my pitcher of tea next to me for, just for me, and she's got my lemon pie over there, and we're just having a good night. And Bill looked at me and he said, Teeb, that's my name, Steve, he'd call me Teeb, and I'll do it in my language, not his. Teeb, I had a dream last night. I said, you did? He said, yeah, what'd you dream? I dreamed I was in heaven and I could walk. I could talk. I was with Jesus. Childlike, but he understood. It was a few years later that I did my first funeral ever as a pastor, and it was for Billy Tom. I never get standing there over his casket and saying, I heard what his dream was, and today he is experiencing that. So I'll tell you on this Christmas, however more longer God allows me on this earth, I look forward to one of the things I look forward to more than anything else is seeing the fulfillment of that dream in that man's life. One who never ever enjoyed life like you and I did has been enjoying it since 1977 in heaven. And when I see him, we're going to walk. We're gonna, in fact, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to drag him down to a baseball field because I've got to get on a baseball field again. And we're going to find somewhere in heaven where we can enjoy and run and do everything we've always done. That's what Christmas is about. From a dark world with no hope, God had a plan. The world never saw it but it was being fulfilled perfectly on schedule. And on schedule, Jesus Christ in the fullness of time was born. And he came to bear witness from the truth. And those of you who this day are of the truth, you hear his voice and you know how real this is. I challenge you as you walk out of here this day, you walk out and you walk with him in a manner that brings him honor and glory. You, give, you live in such a way that people will wonder what is there about what you do and believe that makes you the way you are? You should live in such a way that people say, what's your hope? And you'll look at them and say, I, I have just simple hope. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. Father, as we bring this service to conclusion today, I pray you make today special for everyone here. Even when it's a difficult day for some, for others it'll be a very joyous day. But may we reflect on the real reasons of why we're here today. And that is in your perfect providence and your plan from the foundation of the world, it was fulfilled over 2,000 years ago in a city called Bethlehem, right on schedule, right according to the plan. And we today are beneficiaries of that amazing work. Thank you that you have adopted us. You have brought us into your family. We can say, Abba, Father, and you have promised to watch over us as we grow up. And you will complete this work, and then one day we get to be with you. Thank you for that gift. It's the greatest gift we could have ever had, the gift of life in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen.